generosity. We're going to wrap up this two-week mini-series called You Belong Here. And as I mentioned last week, it's probably not what you think. I'm not up here today trying to persuade you that this is the church you need to belong to, although I think you should, all right? But this is actually a message for us as a church to find our rightful place and who we are in Christ, that we know that we know in the day that we are living in, that without a shadow of a doubt, we belong, come on, to the Father. We belong to Christ. And this is the heartbeat of the message today as we continue to challenge ourselves and continue to respond to the call to experience a deeper community and a deeper spirituality as a congregation. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing an all-church campaign. You might have looked at all the small groups and said, hey, they're all doing the same thing. Exactly. It is a powerful thing when a church gets on the same page and we begin to pray for the same things. We begin to study the word of God together. Come on, we begin to regularly meet together. How many know this is the pattern of the New Testament church? Come on, and when we, begin, when, we get, when we begin to get on the same page and our hearts become unified, how many know Jesus can be glorified? And so I want to challenge you as you exit today, look and jump in a small group. Engage in this campaign that we're kicking off, church-wide campaign that we're kicking off next Sunday and some exciting things are happening, but I want to start today by sharing you a true story about a young man named Juan. Juan was living in the city of London when his world was completely turned upside down. He had lost everything and he was forced to make the decision to return home. That place was Sydney, Australia. By the time the plane landed on the airstrip and he arrived there at the terminal, Juan only had a bag of clothes in a backpack to his name. Nothing else, everything he had was gone. All he had was a world of troubles. No one to welcome him back. No really place to call home. He was a tourist in his own hometown. Standing there as he actually exited the plane and he headed towards baggage claim and down the escalator and there in the arrival tournament, he noticed the other passengers. They all had friends and family waiting for their loved ones to arrive. And when those family members came down the escalator and they got off, they would Uh, they would be received with open arms and they would be hugged and there would be laughter. And Juan noticed all of this and all he wanted was someone out there to be waiting for him, someone out there ready to receive him with open arms, someone waiting for him so that, that they could hug him and throw their arms around him. But there was no one. And church, I believe that the Lord has me on this story because there is a world waiting to be embraced by the Father's love, and this is where we left off last week. How many know God is raising up spiritual mothers and fathers in our midst? Come on, brothers and sisters in Christ, to embrace a generation that needs Jesus desperately. This is his heartbeat. Listen, God just doesn't want us to be spectators in this hour. He's wanting to posture us, and this is why the the all-church campaign is so important. Listen, we've got to catch Jesus' heart together. God God wants to break our hearts for a generation. He wants us to be moved by what moves him. He wants our hearts to be broken with what breaks his Yesterday, our small group facilita- uh, facilita- facilitators got together and we got an overview by the, by the founders of Jesus in a secular world and they just shared their heart. They said, if God does anything over the next eight weeks, make sure he breaks your heart for people. And I believe that God is wanting to do this on a church. Don't think it's not for you, please. 
There is a generation that desperately needs Jesus. And he needs to see it through this church, all of us. Not just some of us. All of us. Everybody say all of us. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. And this is exactly where we left off last week. The prodigal son comes to his senses. How many are you thankful, come on, that you came to your senses? Listen, you remember that place? You remember that place where Jesus, come on, got a hold of you, where the Holy Spirit got a hold of you? Do you remember that place? I remember exactly where I was. I was, I was, I snuck in the back door of a church on Masonic Drive in Alexandria, Louisiana. And it was in that service that the pastor had a word of knowledge for my life and he laid hands on me and I encountered the love of God for the very first time in my life. God wants to embrace a generation just like he embraced me, just like he embraced you. Do you remember when you, when you came to your senses? He comes to his senses and he realized, I don't have to tolerate this anymore. I don't have to put up with this anymore. And he runs back and he thinks, I'm just going to get a job with my dad. But instead of getting a job, he gets a warm welcome back embrace from a loving father. Listen, I don't care what you've done. I don't, think you, I don't care how bad you think it is. Listen, the father is waiting for you to return so you can experience his supernatural love. He ran into the Father embrace where he belonged. How many are thankful that you belong? And this is the place where he could hear the Father's reassuring voice once again. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. Today, we're going to read the second half of the story. Last week, I talked the prodigal in us. And this, year, this week, I'm going to talk about the Pharisee in us. Luke 15, 21 to 32, it says, his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both. You're talking about the younger son, the lost son, the prodigal son. He said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. How many are ready to celebrate something good? For this son of mine, listen to this, was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. How you know God likes a good party? Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son, the elder brother, was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing. And he's like, what's that? What's going on in my house? So he asked one of his dad's employees. He said, hey, what's going on? And he said, your brother the one who was lost, he's back, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. Verse 28, the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out, and he begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, we, when this son of yours, uh, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate him by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Today, I want to talk to you about the barriers of belonging. The barriers 
of belonging. You see, when we embrace, when we as a church embrace the prodigal, and come on, when the prodigal in us is embraced, we activate the gospel. Listen, when we are embraced, we activate the good news in our lives and the good news in other people's lives. In other words, come on, when the good news is activated, we are no longer beggars. No, we are belongers. Hallelujah. We are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters. We are no longer, no longer battling thoughts of an unrenewed mind that keep us in an unrenewed place. No, no. I experienced the transformation and the renewal renewing of my mind that gets me in my rightful place. Yes, yes. You know, I, I, I'm on social media, and, and you've seen this post. It's a popular post, but when I think about this story of the lost son, it really stands out to me, and it reads this. It says, religion says I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel says I messed up. I need to call my father. This morning, listen, can we just have the boldness to call our father today? Come on, he's not mad at you, he's mad about you. You see, whether you're running from God or wrestling with God today, whether you're resisting God or maybe you're just not ready to surrender it all to God, can I tell you this morning, can I beg you this morning, the Father is waiting to embrace you wherever you are, just like you are, so you can know that you belong to him. Can I challenge you, RLC? That was a question. You're like, I'm not sure yet. Let me hear the challenge. All right. Can RLC be a people that engage real problems in our community? Can real life church, come on, be a people that embrace real people that we discover being impacted by those real problems? And can we be a church, listen, that walks people, come on, in the problem, embrace people in the problem and lead them into the Father's embrace where they know that they know that they are loved and accepted unconditionally. You see, the Father didn't stop with an embrace. That wasn't the end of the story. That's where we ended last week, but that's not the end of the story. He restored his lost son completely to his rightful place. See, some of us, listen, we have this mentality, listen, that God hasn't forgiven us all the way. Listen, that, that, or maybe you think you've been forgiven, but God hasn't restored you to where you once were. That is a lie of the enemy. Listen, when you receive his forgiveness, come on, he restores you completely. He doesn't hold it over your head. Some of you are holding it, holding things over your head. Let me tell you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get rid of the guilt this morning. Get rid of the shame this morning. Let that go and let God move in your life and let him restore you like he wants to restore you. You see, the story of the lost son paints a picture of what happens when we come back to the Father and the good news, the gospel, is activated in our lives. This passage says he draped him with his best robe. Everybody say the best robe. The best robe was proof that this son now had been fully accepted back into his family. Someone say, I'm fully accepted. Isaiah 61.10 reflects this. It says this, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation, and he's draped me in a robe of righteousness. I now am like a bridegroom dressed for the wedding or a bride with her jewels. How many of you guys ready for something supernatural to happen in your life? He got a robe. He was fully accepted. And then the father said, hey, bring that ring to me. 
And he received a ring from his father and that was a symbol that he was getting his dignity back. Not only was he getting his dignity back, he was getting his respect back. He was worthy of this father calling him his son. The ring in biblical times represented authority. It signified sonship. And it would give this young son the authority to do business in his father's name. Come on, how are you ready to do transactions with heaven on earth? God wants us to do his business. He wants us to be about his business. And you can't do that unless you're in your rightful place, walking in your God-given authority. Matthew 10.1, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority. Everybody say authority. authority. To cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. He got his ring back. His son, he got his identity back. He got his identity back. He was no longer, come on, that lost kid. Come on. He was the son that had been found. And again, he was identifying with his father's heart, his father's house, and his father's hand. Then he said, go get the sandals. They put sandals on his feet. You see, to go barefoot back in that day was often a sign of shame, mourning, and poverty. So to put sandals on his son's feet was to remove all shame, all sadness, and poverty. He said, listen, he said to his son, in essence, I know, come on, I know you've been born again, but son, welcome home again. There is no shame. There is no sadness. You're no longer poor in spirit. Everything I have is yours. Acts 12, verses 8. We see this in the story of Peter. Many of you know this story. The church is fervently praying for Peter as he is about to get executed by Herod. He's in a jail cell, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up in his cell. Peter's not even sure. He thinks it's, he's having a vision. And the angel slaps Peter upside the head, and he says, get up. And as soon as Peter stood up, the chains fell off. Oh, that's a word for somebody today. Listen, you need to get up. Come on, you need to get up of whatever's got you bound. And when you get up, let me tell you, the chains are coming off today. He not only said, get up, he said, get your robe on and put your sandals on. How many know? And then he said, follow me. How many know when the angel tells you to get your robe and your shoes, you're going places in Jesus' name? What was so crazy is, here's Peter. He thinks he's having a vision. He's going by the guards. They get to the prison gate. And come on, the gate falls off its hinges and Peter walks out free. Listen, can I tell you something today? When you put on your sandals, you're not only saying I have authority, you're saying as a believer, I'm walking in my authority. I'm walking in my father's favor. I'm walking in my father's goodness. Whatever he has for me, I'm walking it out. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm walking it out. Yeah, I'm a little fired up today. (laughs) He killed the fattened calf. The fattened calf was the choicest food you could eat. It was considered to be the best of the best that all the father had. So in other words, they were planning to have leftovers that night. But when the son came home, when the prodigal son came home, he said, hey, everybody, guess what? We're not having leftovers. He said, we're having barbecue. Hallelujah. He said, get the fattened calf, butcher that calf, because we're having some New York steaks and tri-tips and top sirloin and ribeye steaks tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Everybody say the Father's best. Not second best. Listen, if you've blown it in your life, maybe you've blown it in your relationship with God and you're feeling unworthy, can I just tell you, stop the nonsense. The best is yet to come. God's very best, not his second best, not his third best. No, his best. He's about to restore you from the places where you've fallen. The places that you used to be. Come on, God is going to put you back there. That's a word for somebody. And then he threw a party. How many of you guys like parties? Everybody got nervous. I don't know. Birthday parties. How many like birthday parties? <laughs> parties were special occasions for families, usually on birthdays and weddings. And what did the party symbolize? The party symbolized the value that God places on people. Come on, is your life party worthy? Come on. Come on, sometimes we walk in on Sunday, well, I think, man, what, what's going on? Because it ain't no party in here. How many know every Sunday should be a praise party? Hallelujah. Not just because you made it through the week, but because you are a child of God. And that together we get to celebrate all the good things that he's doing in our lives. Luke 15, 7, in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Luke 15, 32, we had to celebrate this happy day. Everybody say, we have to. We have to. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. You see, this is what happens when the prodigal in us comes home and we find our places of belonging and our rightful place in Christ. Come on, we get our robe back. Come on, we get our ring back. We get our sandals back. Come on, dad barbecues the fattened cat and he throws us a party. Why? Because we're not just born again. We're home again. You see, there's no place like home. Somebody say it. There's no place like home. Y'all sounded like the Wizard of Oz, but anyway. But I want to give us all fair warning today. When the prodigal comes home, the Pharisee is revealed. Just like there can be a prodigal in all of us, you guessed it, there can be a Pharisee in all of us as well. And if we're not careful, the move of God we cry out for will be the same move of God we criticize. If we're not careful, listen, the people that we would pray would walk through these doors, we'll begin to complain about them when they show up. The relationships that we enjoy, if we're not careful, we'll allow the enemy to destroy them in the name of religion. Because when the prodigal finds his place, it stirs up a pharisaical spirit, a religious spirit that says, you don't belong. And I believe the barriers of the religious spirit are coming down. The barriers of a religious spirit, they are coming down. And listen, the misfit is welcome. The drug addict is welcome. The one who is addicted is welcome. Somebody better get fired up. The people are coming home. Three barriers that prevent the broken from belonging. And the first is a religious spirit. And this is where I'm going to spend most of my teaching time today. The Lord just gave me revelation this week. I'm going to get to three, but I'm going to spend a lot of time here. The first barrier that prevents broken people from belonging is a religious spirit. Now, whenever I talk about religious spirits, how many know religious spirits get nervous? Don't worry, most of them left over the last five years. That's why I believe we're experiencing what we're experiencing. How many know God will remove the religious? Come on, so you can experience unhindered righteousness. (laughs) Oh, we don't know yet. It's coming. 
Luke 15, 25 to 28. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And he returned home and he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? He said, your brother's back and we're having a party. Oh, and by the way, you know that calf that you and your dad were feeding and raising? It's on the barbecue. And the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in the celebration. And his father came out, the story says, and begged him, begged him. He said, son, your brother's been lost, but now he's found. Won't you come in? You see, a religious spirit gains access into a believer's life when we focus more on the exterior life than the interior life. You see, the elder son who stayed home, he did all the right things. Come on. He said all the right things on the outside, but he didn't pay attention to what was happening on the inside. And though he was home, he drifted away from the father's heart. Though he was home, he drifted away from the father's hand. Matthew 23, 25, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. In the Greek, that's translated, you actors. You're just acting, you're just pretending. You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, you're filthy. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. I want to just give you several indicators on how to identify a religious spirit. I can just tell you as a pastor, even over the last few weeks, religious spirits come in, they're not comfortable, and they go out. I'm just saying the number one killer of revival is a religious spirit. Let me just give you how to identify it. A religious spirit is agitated when others are celebrated. This is one of the reasons why every week, come on, we celebrate a visioneer because our staff knows, come on, that it's not about us. It's about him. But listen, in honoring him, listen, we want to honor you because without you, none of this happens. None of what goes on here. People aren't prayed for during the week. Our kids' diapers aren't changed during service. Youth, come on, our junior high is blown up. We had 60 junior hires. Why? Because we feed them fruity pebbles. This is what I call the party pooper spirit. You guys know what I'm talking about. You go to a celebration and everybody's having a good time, but so-and-so over here is throwing a pity party and they're offended because you didn't open up their card and say thank you. And so this person over here is just distracting because they want all the attention because you're getting all the celebration. You see, a religious spirit will always get upset when the party is not about them. Remember who Jesus is telling the story to. He's telling it to Pharisees. These were the most religious people of Jesus' day who lived for the approval of men and the applause of men. And while he's telling this story, they're already ticked off because according to the law, the prodigal should have been punished. But Jesus threw a spin on there and instead of being punished, he's throwing them a big bash. And they're like, what? Are you kidding me? And then Jesus brings in the elder brother and now their hearts are being revealed and they ain't happy because a religious spirit will always protest your promotion. 
Luke 15, 28, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. Well, you can go and I'm just going to wait in the car. They won't miss me anyway. Tell them I said hi. He wouldn't go in. He wouldn't allow his heart, come on, to celebrate. And he protested his brother's promotion. You see, a person with a religious spirit will never join the celebration. They will never step into the joy of the kingdom because they're about protecting their own kingdom and their own domain. And your promotion poses a threat. Well, why, why, why did you do that, pastor? Why, 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 why did they get to do that and I didn't get to do that? Well, because they showed up and signed up. Because they called me and actually set up a meeting with me and we discussed it and I felt good about it. And I said, yes, Lord, yes. <laughs> you see, a religious spirit, next thing, a religious spirit will never welcome you back but it has no problem talking behind your back. Matthew chapter nine, verse 10 to 12, Matthew the tax collectors invites Jesus and the disciples over with some other guys. They actually, there's translation that says, these dudes were notorious sinners. Do I have any notorious sinners in the house? All right. And, and as they're going, the Pharisees notice where they're going and they ask, uh, why does your teacher eat with such scum? The thing they didn't realize, they were still in Jesus' ear. How many know Jesus is going to hear it anyway? <laughs> and he heard it and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Only sick people do. The next thing is a religious spirit loves to cause drama and distract you from divine, the divine. Anybody know a drama king or a drama queen? I'm going to keep going because I have several. A religious spirit is easily offended when it is not applauded because the spirit driving this person is focused on performance and not personal relationship. They want to be recognized. They want you to know all that they've done. For Jesus, of course. Luke 15, uh, 42 to 43, it says, many people did believe in him, Jesus. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. In other words, they were fearful that they would lose membership, status with the religious folks of the day. Why? For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. A religious spirit is easily offended when it is not applauded. A religious spirit will always bring you a list of concerns, complaints, and comparisons. Is this okay, everybody? Yes. Luke 15, 28 to 29, his father came out and begged him. Listen to this. But he replied, all these years. How many know we all have a file tucked away in our brains? Come on, when we're upset, that comes out and it's called all these years. Listen, and if we're not careful, we'll get upset and we'll get angry and, and things people forgot about, you forgot about, you'll yank out that all these things file and you'll whip it out and you'll have your list. Do you remember when I did this? You remember when I did it? And you did this and you did that and you, and pretty soon the complaints just keep coming. He said, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all the time, you never gave me one young goat to barbecue with my buddies. 
You see, a religious spirit will always cry and complain, that's not fair, because they've lost sight of the Father's favor. God's favor isn't fair. Anybody ever heard that? Acts 10, verse 34, if you don't believe me, I'm reading out of the message It says this, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The door is open. I'm almost done. I got two more. Is that all right? A religious spirit is a jealous spirit. Jealousy, biblical jealousy is indicating excessive regard for one's own self, as well as possessiveness, rivalry, and ill will towards others because of their good fortune. This is how a religious spirit kills revival in a city, in a community, in a church, and in the life of a believer. They're They're mad because God is blessing your life. They're mad because God is blessing your church. They're mad because God is blessing your community. You see, a jealous spirit always wants to make you a rival so that we'll never together experience revival. A a rival is a person or thing competing with another for the same objective for superiority in the same field of activity. You see, if we don't deal with our religious spirit, it will lead us to the second barrier, and it is this. It's a resentful heart. Luke 15:30 it says, "Yet when his son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf." Resentment is this. It's bitter indignation. Perceiving that you've been treated unfairly. How many of you ever felt like you've been treated unfairly? And you didn't deal with it. And now you find yourself with a resentful heart. You see, resentment takes you on a downward spiral from sonship and daughterhood to slavery. You become a slavery to that jealousy. You become a slavery to that resentment. And hatred begins to build up in your heart. And the Father is begging you this morning. And yet you're like, I'm not going in. I'm not going to respond. No way. You see, the accusation the elder brother had is such a bad perspective. He can't even call the younger son in the story his brother. He said, your son, your son wasted it all. Your son was with prostitutes. Your son, did you see what your son did? Did you see what your son did? You see, everyone loves the dog until it's time to clean up the poop. (laughs) Then it's your dog. (laughs) How do you know what I'm talking about? Everybody likes the puppy until it goes poopy. Everybody likes the dog. We've been watching Mariah's dog. She got a mini double doodle. We told her, don't get it. It's going to cost you a lot of money. She's a guardian. She got it for free. Yeah, right. She got it for free. And so since he got pregnant and since he's been home with us for the last month, she can barely move. And I love that dog. I said, oh, Cincy, you're so cute. And I love her. And I'm playing with her. And then the dog goes poop. And I say, Amy, your dog went poop. Go clean it up. You know, Amy and I just celebrated 30 years. And I've mastered what makes her upset. I know how to make her mad. And I know what not to do anymore. (laughs) But when our kids were younger and they were acting up, And I really wanted to just go, beep. 
I just go, will you take care of your kids? Everything stopped. It got super quiet. Eyes burning through my body. And she said, what do you mean my kids? They're acting like you. It's the spirit of anger. The elder brother, he was mad, Pastor Brandon, at mercy. He was angry at grace. He was fuming over forgiveness. And he was furious that the problem child had been found. His resentment called for God's judgment. It's sad that we see this coming from the church today. We want judgment instead of mercy. We want judgment instead of grace. And we're furious. And it reveals to all of us one thing. You can be in the right place and still have the wrong heart. You can do all the right things. You can say all the right things. You can play the game and still not be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be home and still not happy, miserable, hating your life. And if we suck them to a resentful heart, we're experience, we'll experience the third barrier, and I'm landing the plane. The third barrier that prevents the broken from belonging is a refusal to yield to the Father's voice. Said his father, verse 28 says, he came out, he begged him. He pleaded with him. He said, son, please don't do this. Why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? He said, dear son, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. Everything. I never withheld one thing from you. It is all yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He's lost, but now he's found. And the story that Jesus is telling, it ends. We don't know if the elder brother responded to the father's begging and pleading to come inside. And I believe it's because Jesus is begging and pleading for the Pharisee in all of us to respond to him and enter in to the kingdom celebration. You see, maybe you've never left home. Maybe you're a goody two-shoes. You've never went astray, but instead you've allowed your heart to grow cold in regards to what's possible for God to do in the life of prodigal people. Maybe you've never left home, but you've lost your love for people. Where is our love today? Where is our love today? The love that changes the world. Listen, the love that quiets the noise. Where is the love? Maybe you've never left home, but you find yourself calling out for judgment rather than mercy. Where on earth did we get that? Jesus is our intercessor. He sits on the right hand of the Father praying for you and I to come home. Maybe you never left home, but you've lost it. You're angry and you're mad at those people. Those, you know, those people that you used to hang with, those people that used to rub shoulders with, Those people that you work 
with. How many know they need Jesus too? You see, the people that Jesus spent most of his time with were sinners. And the people that Jesus died for on a cross who took the punishment, they deserve, come on, they deserve to be found. So you remember the young man, Juan, who came down the escalator and he saw all the family and friends waiting for their loved ones. And he looked around in the baggage claim and there was no one there for him. And he had this idea and he found a marker in his duffel bag and he found a piece of cardboard by the trash can and he, he began to write some things and he wrote it down and he found the busiest intersection in downtown Sydney and he held it up and for 15 minutes people stared right through him they walked right by him it was like he didn't even exist and then a lady came to him and said This morning, my pet that I've had for 12 years died, and I just need somebody to hug me. He dropped his sign, knelt down, and he gave that lady a hug, and she turned to him, and she said, thank you. She smiled and walked away. He held it up again. He had it on both sides. He didn't say a word. He just held up the sign. And he saw a young, he saw a lady coming towards him. And she came to him and she said, today is the anniversary of my daughter's death. And every anniversary, I feel like the loneliest person in the world. And then I see you. I just need a hug today. And as he put down his sign and he wrapped his arms around this lady, listen, tears began to stream down her face. She walked away and she said, thank you. I don't know how I would have made it without that warm embrace. It's crazy because this free hug sign, it became a movement. This guy wasn't a Christian. He was just a lonely dude. Come on, wanting to give out hugs to other lonely people. And, and people all over the world, millions and millions of people started making signs in all different languages saying, free hugs, free hugs, free hugs. He started a free hug movement. But this morning... You may be under the sound of my voice. And I want to tell you, the real free hug movement started 2,000 years ago. Listen, when Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross, his left hand and his right hand, and he said, my son, my daughter, will you come home? No one can come to the Father except through the Son. And I'm waiting to embrace you, to love you, to forgive you, and to restore you. That's my first call this morning. If you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're a prodigal, you've been away from God. Listen, today's the day to come home. If that's you, with every head bowed, eye closed, you just lift your hands and say, Pastor Dean, I'm ready to walk into the Father's embrace. Yes, young man, anybody else? Anybody else? You say, yes, in the back. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Anybody else? You'd say, I want to come home. Hallelujah. At least five to six people. How many know there's a party going on right now? And I want us to pray this prayer. I want us to pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, let's everybody pray it. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for embracing me in my mess. I come to you, all of me, and I ask you to restore me completely. I ask you to forgive me. God, I 
ask you to heal me. And I ask you to touch me. God, give me a second chance. I put my trust in you today as your son and as your daughter. Thank you today for becoming my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. The second thing is this. I'm going to ask my prayer ministers to come. My prayer has been that over the last couple of weeks, that you wouldn't project this story on somebody else. Because I know I haven't. Because just to let you know, I practice what I preach before I preach it. And God's usually taken me already to the woodshed before I get up here. But my prayer has been, God, let us not project this story on somebody else, but let us take this story and examine our own lives. Is there a prodigal in me? Is there a Pharisee in me? And with every head bowed and eye closed, if you just say, Pastor Dean, there's some barriers that's preventing the broken from belonging. I just need to repent. Is that anybody in here? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? God wants to touch you. Yes. It's just between you and the Lord. Even if you didn't raise your hand, but Pastor Brandon's going to lead us. I'm going to ask you to respond. If you need healing in your life, you need a touch of God in your life. Our prayer ministers have been in ch- trained to not only pray with you, but to pray you through. No matter what you're facing, no matter what barrier you're looking at, no matter what obstacle is in front of you, listen, God has a plan. It's not an accident. Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.